Blog Talk Radio. Morning, this is Get Your Kids Back Now. This show is dedicated to keeping families together and to fighting the tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. The secondary purpose of the show is to educate parents and relatives or to at least show them where to get the necessary information for their fight. Good morning, good morning. We have a great show this morning. And the second half hour at the show of the show at 8:30, former CPS social worker uh, Terry Greenstein will be on with us to discuss more tactics and more strategies for you to use when dealing with CPS. Before that, we're going to try to take a couple of calls, and I'm going to share some experiences that I had uh, recently um, representing folks in the juvenile dependency court which is also known as the CPS court around the state of California. Um, I recently was in another county in California up north, uh, and I was representing a gentleman. And we were doing a adjudication and disposition hearing. Um, It was the second day that I've been there, and we've scheduled for another day coming up in June. And... It's a very interesting case um, where the social workers really don't have anything on him. They were trying to blame him for the mother holding the child while shooting a gun at him. Lucky for him, he wasn't hit. He wasn't wounded. He didn't die. But, you know, the police got involved, and they're trying to blame him for that. And the only thing they really have against him at this point is that they're saying that uh, he's not mental or emotionally stable enough to care for the child. And they're basing that on a couple things. Uh, Most recently, they're basing it upon how he allegedly interacts with the child during monitored visits. And the worst case scenario is that they're blaming him for being a little obsessive compulsive when it comes to taking care of the child and keeping the child clean. I'm not sure that rises to the level of having your child taken away from you. Um, He is currently involved in individual counseling. He is currently involved or have completed, I think, one or two parenting classes. And um, during the trial, there has been, I've made it a big to-do about the fact that they haven't placed this child with relatives. And there's a boatload of relatives in that area and in in surrounding counties. We got a brother, we have a brother of the father, a paternal uncle, we have many paternal first cousins. And at the last hearing, I called uh, four witnesses. We only, the judge in this court does hearings at 1.30 p.m. to, I guess, 4.30. And I called four witnesses before the case was um, stopped 
for a conference with the judge. Now, one of the witnesses that I called was a Ph.D. uh, psychologist who had given the client an evaluation. And I don't know if this is funny, but it's kind of weird because the social worker refused to place this psychologist's report into the court evidence and refused to talk to the psychologist before uh, submitting her report to the court. So uh, my client had an evaluation, a psychological evaluation, and, you know, their main thing is, uh, you know, he's not emotionally stable enough to keep or take care of the child, but they're ignoring this evidence. And when I was at the first hearing, I cross-examined the social worker. And one of the things that she said was she didn't include this doctor's report because, you know, he wasn't qualified and he wasn't an expert and he didn't know anything about juvenile dependency or CPS cases, which was odd because I asked her how she knew that. And I think her response, I don't want to misquote her, but I think her response was, well, I've never heard of him, which is probably true. He didn't practice in that particular county, but it had practice and was practicing in surrounding counties um, in that uh, northern Bay Area. So, and the judge at the time, you know, the, the signal I got, the un, um, nonverbal communication was, okay, social worker, if that's what you thought, that's okay. You know, we don't want somebody who's not experienced uh, involved in these DCFS, not DCFS, <laughs> in these CPS cases. And it's okay if, you know, we, you know, if you didn't really report on um, what this psychologist's findings were. That's just the, the judge never said that, but that's just the, you know, the body language that I was reading. And maybe I was wrong. Well, when we come back for the second day of trial, several weeks later, I put the psychologist on the stand. And he, of course, testifies. Uh, you know, he's been a, a psychologist, licensed psychologist for about 30 years. He's licensed in two states, California and Virginia. He's testified in courts, I think he said over two or 300 times. He had been found an expert every time he had testified. And it was the kicker. He has testified in juvenile dependency cases before and found to be an expert in other counties. And he opined that um, there was no danger um, of the father in taking care of this child. So theoretically, the child should be released back immediately. But we're in the middle of trial, and so that didn't happen. And um, But during the break, the judge asked if he could be kind of a settlement, talk settlement discussions, but continue to hear the case as a finder of fact. And everyone agreed, including me. Um, because I got the impression that the judge was seemingly um, starting to warm up to the ideas that I was trying to um, fight for. And the first thing the judge said was, you know, your witness, uh, the psychologist, uh, was very impressive. And, you know, I had gone through kind of like a void dire of the psychologist and established his uh, credentials, his education, his experience, especially his expert witness experience.
testifying in the Superior Court of California and being found to have been a expert, as well as his expert testimony in federal courts on other types of psychological issues and being found to be an expert. Now, I had expected the county council and the minors council, who's against me, uh, to really try to discredit uh, this psychologist and to discredit his report. Um, but surprisingly, I, the minors council didn't ask any questions. And I think the county council may have asked one or two questions. I remember one of the questions she asked was, have you ever seen the father with this child parenting this child? And the answer was no. Um, but he had performed an evaluation of the father and can opine about the type of person he thought the father was. Well, the judge found the guy to be very credible. The, the expert said many, many positive things about my client, even opining that my client was not a danger to the child. Um, so we're still in the middle of that trial. Uh, the judge was kind of uh, concerned, maybe even upset that the social workers had not taken any steps to place the children with relatives. And I won't say any steps, but any serious steps. They had the child in a foster home, and they had just moved the child to a new foster home of two people who want to adopt the child. So um, we stopped the case. The judge ordered the department or suggested to the, to the department uh, to go out and get some of these relatives approved as temporary emergency placements, which they can do. Now, a lot of relatives come to me and they say, hey, you know what? The, the worker said it's going to take a few months for me to pass through this ASPA process. And I knew that was going to be one of their arguments. And so in this particular family, um, you know, money wasn't an issue. They didn't need funding. So I asked each of the relatives that I put on the stand, hey, do you, you know, if you don't get this um, ASPA funding or this type of uh, clearance, you won't get money uh, to take care of this child. And each one of the relatives said, I don't care about the money. I can take the child. I can support the child with my own money. My family and the family can support the child. Um, one of the relatives was a um, very successful businessman who uh, owned several businesses and, you know, had a ton of employees. Another relative was a um, governmental worker um, who had made good money in one of the, another county, surrounding county. And then uh, the third relative was a um, retired, uh, I forgot what she did, but she was retired and money wasn't an object. And um, she lived with her two college-age children, and both of those children were attending college. So um, I think the department, in, in this case, is kicking and screaming. We have a progress report coming up on, I think it's June 5th or June 6th, where um, the judge wanted it reported back to uh, him what the status was uh, of the child being placed with a relative. 
And he made it clear that he wanted this child placed with a relative if the relative uh, didn't have any criminal history. Now, don't forget, each of these relatives got up on the stand and were asked questions by me on direct examination, and they were subjected to asking questions by cross-examination by the other attorneys, which I don't think – I don't recall the other attorneys really asking any or very many questions. And I think the judge may have asked one or two questions of a couple of the relatives, but it was clear that the judge was satisfied that the child could be placed with one of these relatives as long as they didn't have a criminal history. And they testified they didn't have, and he just wanted that checked out. So as of today, I think that was Wednesday. Yeah, as of today, well, this morning I haven't talked to anyone uh, yet, but as of last night, the child had not been placed with a relative yet, and the judge had um, stated and opined that you know, a criminal check to these days, because it's computerized, your fingerprints are run, uh, that, that, would, that the results come back instantaneously. So I, I think he said that because he didn't want to hear an excuse, well, we're checking out the criminal background. You know, sometimes you go to these cases, and it's the same thing all over the state. Well, why isn't the child um, placed with a relative? Well, we haven't got the criminal background clearance, which in my opinion is a, is a lie because it happens instantaneously. You put your finger on glass, um, and they run your fingerprints through a computer system. The results pop out, and then we know whether you have any arrests, whether you have any convictions, what type of convictions, etc. There's a new rule in California where all of the attorneys have have to redo their fingerprints through this computer system, and they wanted to make sure that, you know, you're you haven't been arrested or convicted of some crime uh, since you became an attorney and didn't inform the state bar. I remember when I first became an attorney about 30, 31 years ago, you had to go get your fingerprints done on a card uh, at at a police station. And then you would send that card in with your application and some type of criminal background check was run, um, you know, with, rudimentary computer processing. Um, And since then, uh, the state bar would not know if I had ever been arrested or convicted of a crime because I never had to have my fingerprints taken since technology has changed and the way of checking criminal background checks. So they passed a law in California. You got to take this, you know, you had to go get your fingerprints done um, on a computerized system. And there are several types of private businesses and governmental agencies that will do that for you. And then those results are sent by that person to the state bar. Um, Interestingly enough, um, there were several, many attorneys who had been arrested or convicted of crimes in the interim. And now I think, um, you know, there are disciplinary procedures against them. Um, because one of the things is if you get arrested or convicted, I think you have to re- self-report yourself to the bar uh, to make sure that you are still eligible so they can determine if you're still eligible for um, uh, practice in the state of California. From what I understand, a lot of people, a lot of attorneys were, had not reported the fact that they had been arrested or convicted of something like you know, drunk driving 
but there were a, a, several, from what I heard and understand, attorneys who were arrested, arrested and convicted on very, very serious felony charges and had not informed the bar, and the bar didn't know that they may not be eligible to practice law, and uh, those things are working its way through the state bar system. I digress for a moment, getting back to the case uh, in Northern California. So we're hoping to have that child placed soon with a relative. Um, my client, interestingly enough, um, and it was kind of against my advice, um, but he ended up taking another psychological evaluation from a psychologist who was selected by the social workers, you know, and um, – one of the reasons why I really didn't want him to do it, because it's kind of, you know, in my opinion, my humble opinion, based upon, you know, 30 years as a lawyer, um, that the results might be predetermined, you know. But one of the reasons why I was more comfortable with this, because he had already had a 730, excuse me, a psychological evaluation by our hand-selected it wasn't really hand-selected. It was just random. We asked around anyone that would do it, and he agreed to do it. Uh, but he turned out to be he was highly qualified, highly skilled, highly experienced, you know, like 30 years or something as a licensed psychologist. And uh, he gave psychological testing, and he gave uh, the interview. And I don't think that the social workers' evaluation, psychological evaluation, was performed with psychological testing. So I think our evaluation is um, going to be much more accurate and hopefully carries much more weight. But the sense I got was, you know, if the CPS psychologist says, hey, there's nothing wrong with this guy or, you know, he can take care of his kid, there's some issues he has to work on, but he can do that through counseling or parenting, which my client is already doing, then he's safe enough to get the get the child placed with him, and that's hoping we're hoping that's what happens. Uh, the psycholo the psychologist who apparently is very backed up with her work, her own private practice, her um, evaluations for criminal court, family court, and juvenile court. We wouldn't we we weren't able to get the or not going to be able to get the psychological evaluation uh, for a few weeks. So we're in limbo while we try to get this child placed out of foster care, a brand-new foster home, um, and uh, who want to adopt the child. This case, by the way, started in January of 2019. I am the father's second or third attorney. Um, I think, and I might be misquoting this, I think he didn't get along with his first court-appointed attorney, his second court-appointed attorney, who I, I didn't know before the case started, um, informed the client that she was not qualified to handle a case such as his, not necessarily from a legal position, but from a political position, which was kind of interesting. Uh, you know, she feared the... I think she feared the retribution of local CPS social workers if she really went to bat for this guy. And I think she told the father um, 
hire a private attorney outside of that county because if the attorney was inside the county, she was concerned about the political backlash on that attorney or if that attorney would be affected or concerned about political backlash. So he finds – and I think she helped him. She found me. Or they found me on the internet, and you know they asked me would I come up and do the case, and I said sure. You just got to pay for my plane ticket, you know, back and forth. Um, so that's how I got on that case. Um, there are certain things that have happened in the case that have also led me to believe that um, my client may have some type of civil rights action against the social worker and the county. Um, there have been numerous instances where um, I believe at this point the social worker has um, – well, she's, in my opinion, she's made a lot of mistakes. And unfortunately, in California and in federal court, if a social worker makes a mistake, you know, an honest mistake, you can't sue her for negligence. Uh, it has to be a heightened standard. So they have – Immunity. They have qualified immunity, so you have to be a higher standard, and they have to do something like lie, cheat, steal, malice, fraud. And um, unfortunately, I think the social social worker in this case may have done a little bit of that. Um, it's you know we'll see. Uh, you know we haven't finished the trial, but we'll see. Um, you know it might turn out that my client does not have a case against the social worker or might not have a very good case. Um, but, you know, uh, I think this social worker has done some things intentionally to keep the child away from the father. Uh, so we'll see what happens in this case at the end. And I'll probably talk to my client about whether he has a civil rights case or not. Um, I'm going to try to take a call because it's already uh, – 8.22 a.m., and we have Terry Greenstein, the uh, social worker, coming on at 8.30. So let me take a call right now. I'm going to take a call from area code 562, ending in 17. Good morning. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Good morning. Hello. Can you hear me? Loud and clear. Did Hello. you have a story to tell? Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? I'll tell a little bit of both. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Hi. Um, it's been a, a hard it's last nine years because it started off with an economic uh, disaster. Um, what had happened was is that uh, unfortunately I had a um, had a, a dream job, a dream home, a wonderful family, wonderful kids, doing well in school everything else, and uh, what happened when I lost my job through no fault of my own. Um, uh, it took a couple of years before I was finally out of uh, funds, and I was having a hard time at my later age in my life. I'd already been working for 50-some years, and getting a job later in life is sometimes hard. And I started working at 15, so I had my whole dream. I had the typical dream that everybody dreams about, a beautiful home, beautiful wife, house, kids, and everything. And uh, what happened was is that the, it started with neighbors complaining 
because I couldn't have my gardener anymore out there, and, and my mom and dad were dying, so I started having all these belongings and all these issues. And so they got social service involved, and they started uh, social services is a nightmare. I've yet to uh, meet a social worker that really believes in helping other people. Uh, I don't know what their MO is, but uh, um, what really happened was is that I thought I could be open and honest, and that's the big number one mistake for all you listeners out there is that you don't want to disclose anything. You don't let people into your house. You don't uh, – the first thing you do is an attorney. And if I knew what I knew now, I would have got an attorney. I would never have lost my family or lost uh, the whole nightmare. But uh, it was kind of a chain of events where you disclose and you tell them right now, yes. Um, and what had happened in my case was that I had my parents' belongings in my house, and so there was a lot of – you know, furniture around, a lot of boxes stacked and so forth, and they felt it could endanger the kids. The kids' rooms were clean, immaculate. They did well in school. We always had electricity and lights, never had an issue, but all these allegations were they were trying to make up things and trying to dig into the kids. One of the things they do is they break the family unit apart, and the kids were kind of horrified, and their coach and cohere to say things that aren't true or make up stories. They pursue it, and I try to diplomatically uh, point out things that are wrong with their stories or try to do things on my own, but that just made it got worse and worse. And then the public defenders that give you are just in there, just uh, they get a, they're hired by the same people, social service. The judge is hired by – I mean, it's, it's kind of like uh, how can you get a fair trial, a fair hearing, or fair help when you know everything is all controlled by social services, the judge, the lawyers, and everything there. And, of course, being economic, I didn't have any money at the time. And when I did able to get money and able to hire an excellent attorney and uh, um, get my case in it, years had already passed. And it started in 2015 and didn't wrap up to 2018. But during the course thing, one of the most atrocious things was uh, when they get the uh, police involved, the police duplicate the same thing that social services is. So they automatically put you in a restraining order, and uh, then what social services did, they also wanted to have a restraining order too because they felt the police wasn't strong enough. So they're doing a restraining order, and then the social worker decided to uh, fabricate a story that was unproven. And I know I have a, a civil lawsuit against the social worker where for a year she portrayed that I had violated the, the uh, probation. And... Um, and I hadn't, and I'd always maintained 100 yards away from the residence. And so um, it was really horrified to see this, this social worker lie. I mean, it was, just, it was it's so many lies and so many innuendos. It's just terrible. And uh, uh, I've, you know, I've, I've lost everything. I've lost our, one of her children was so confused that she was talking to be adopted. And so at the age of 13, she's leaving us. And so that was pretty heartbreaking. It's ruined my wife. Our wife, our relationship has been really distraught. I, our, luckily, my two boys somehow have still maintained civility and that's still to continue on with their life. But it's, it's never been the same. We had a, a wonderful family unit that was destroyed by social services. And if you guys are listening and, and hearing me downplay social services, I'm not trying to be mean to them. But they're not really geared 
for white collar workers that might have an economic uh, disaster, which my case was the finances. I had no more funds and I couldn't get any more funds from family or friends and, and I couldn't even get a job and still to stay. It's hard for me to get a job because when you have a restraining order, uh, you know, and formal probation and bankruptcy and, and your credit's bad and everything, no one's going to hire you. And so it's really kind of, uh, uh, sad. And, uh, so, um, uh, I'm, you know, um, trying to regroup. I did get a job for a month. It was a great job, but uh, for some strange reasons, uh, it continued on. I don't know if it was a restraining order. I can't prove it, but uh, it's, it's, it's. I just think of your age, where you're at, and if you have any kind of a background problem, people can check on your background, and they don't want to have anybody involved with it. So, um, I, I, my. Question is, is that the status of the civil suit? I know it's going through its stages, um, but when do you think we'll get our day in court? Is it a year after it gets filed, or two years, or when does that uh, next phase start? For you, uh, my friend, this phase has already started, and we're moving towards our first court date. But that's something that we'll speak uh, off the air about uh, in more detail. Yeah. Right. Okay. That helps me answer there. But uh, the main thing from the thrust of what I'm sharing with everybody out there who's listening is that step one is that if you get involved in social services, they're not your friend. And uh, you don't want to get involved in a place to say that I need to contact my attorney or see my attorney. Step two is get that attorney and try to find a good attorney. Vincent Davis is one of the best. Look at him devoting every Saturday with his radio show to help other people with their families. So um, he's a really excellent attorney and get him. So when you get an attorney, get his attorney and then follow the attorney, try to do the best that you can with that attorney and follow him. And, and you, and you will eventually get your kids back. But the main thing is that don't, don't say anything. It's, it's hard because we all feel there's a justification, but I'm telling you is that, when you have a family unit out there that is destroyed, as social service destroyed my family, um, it's 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 a horrible, a horrible, horrible feeling. But thank you for letting me share my story with you, Vincent. Thank you for what you do. Thank, thank you very much for calling in and keep listening. Okay, I think we may have Terry on the line. Let me see. Hello, Terry. Is that you? Good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing very well. Are you in Riverside County this morning? Yes, I am. How's the weather out there today? Cloudy. June, June, happy, happy first day of June, June gloom. Ah. That's right. I've forgotten about that. Terry, before we get started, I've, I've told the audience uh, who you were, who you are. You're a former CPS social worker with uh, Riverside County. But um, I've also told people in the past that um, I use your services nowadays on juvenile dependency cases and on civil rights cases against social workers. Why don't you give them your name and your contact information so after the show they may want to contact you okay great thank you 
Uh, my name is Terry Greenstein. I have over 35 years of experience working with children and families, foster families and group homes. I'm retired from uh, Riverside County Child Protective Services, where for the first nine years I did child abuse investigations. And the last five years I worked with uh, families with open court cases. I'm a member of the National Organization of Social Workers, Forensic Social Workers. My company is TEG Consultants. My website is tegconsultants.org. My phone number is 951-236-2379. Now I can answer questions about Child Protective Services, best practices, or any other concern that you may have. Like, like Vince said, I work with attorneys who have filed federal civil lawsuits against Child Protective Services entities. Um, I complete reviews of CPS uh, and court documents. I do comprehensive reports. I attend depositions, and I will also attend court a lot. <laughs> Terry, what's your, Terry? What's your email address? Oh, I'm sorry. It's T E Greenstein at yahoo.com. T E G R E E N S T E I N at yahoo.com. Perfect, Terry. I have a question for you. The last time you appeared sure. in the show, I got it. I got an email from a listener and the listener said the next time that you appeared on the show, they'd like to hear a story from you about a case that you may have involved been involved with where there was some type of wrongdoing by your county or trying to sweep something under the rug by your county. Were you ever involved in a case like that? No, I I don't remember having uh, any cases like that. The only really bad thing that happened to me, and I discussed this um, a couple weeks ago, was one of the reasons I left Riverside County is I was ordered to remove children from a family that I didn't think need to be removed. And I balked at it and um but I was you know, I was either do that or lose my job, you know, so I did it. I didn't like doing it. Um and I'm not the only case. I've seen other um supervisors and uh administration um do that. Um it's 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 a policy that I abhor, and that policy is basically, if you're not sure, take the kids and let the courts figure it out. Now, that sounds, you know, okay, but that entails removing your children from you, placing them in another home, you know, whether it's a relative or a foster home, then having to go to court and all that and having to trauma, the trauma of having the children removed, the children's trauma, all to make a 
decision that could have been made by the social worker, the social worker supervisor, even administration. But they'll, 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 they'll do that to make it easier. Um, and I've seen that happen. And uh, it's, it's awful. Um, I've, I've, I have not seen a case while I was working there um, go wrong. There may have been cases. I didn't know of any cases like that. Um, I think I was fortunate that I had basically uh, up to the last one uh, good supervisors. So it just made things a little easier. Um, I think I was, as a senior social worker, I think I was trusted a little bit more on my evaluations. Um, but then I staffed everything with my supervisor, you know. Um, so social workers, but, but, but Vince, you know that we've caught social workers lying, even lying on the stand under oath. You know, it's, I'm dumbfounded by, by that. I would be so afraid to get up there, swear, to tell the truth, and lie. Knowing that you are potentially ruining children and families, ruining them, destroying them, taking them apart, and sometimes when you take them apart, unfortunately, they don't always go back together. So, you know, social workers have a lot, a lot, a lot of power, you know, and, and I don't think they're really trained to understand that power and to use it in the best, keyword, best interests of the kids, best interests of the family. And above all, for social workers, best practices. And that's another key word that's, that's thrown around, you know, when they're talking about audits and things like that, is best practices. Um, I just don't think that the counties do that. You know, it's unfortunate. In fact, you know, I found this audit, very recent audit of LA County, and it's pretty bad, and it's just, it's from this year. It was, the audit came out May 21st, uh, so it's brand new. It was fiscal it last fiscal year 1718. Um, it's pretty bad. Would you like me to discuss some of it? Yes, please, because you know I heard about the audit. Um, a couple of judges have even mentioned it in the courtroom. So why don't you tell us what's going on? Okay. Now, this is going to be – now, if people listening who live in L.A. County who have cases, take note of this because these are excellent arguments against L.A. County. Now, the Joint Legislation Audit Committee of the State of California ordered the state auditors to conduct an audit on the health and safety of children in the care of L.A. County Department of Children and Family Services. 
Now I'm going to read you this, this first paragraph because it's very, very important. The assessment concluded that the department unnecessarily risks the health and safety of children in its care because it does not consistently complete child abuse and neglect investigations and relax safety and risk assessments on time or accurately. As a result, the department leaves some children in unsafe and abusive situations for months, months. Now we know that, that there's been at least two major cases out of the Palmdale uh, DCFF office uh, with two child deaths. Um, that, as far as I'm concerned, uh, was the fault of Child Protective Service, well, DCFS in, in LA County and the Sheriff's Department up there. Um, so I'm going to give you statistics, and I want you to really pay attention to the statistics. The department only completed 72% of its safety assessments and 70% of the risk assessments on time for the fiscal year 2017 through 18 and failed to complete 10% of the safety assessments and 8% of the risk assessments. The audit also found numerous incidences where these statements were not accurate including several safety assessments. The social workers, now get this, the social workers prepared and submitted without actually visiting the child's home. Without seeing the child. Even if the supervisors had identified and corrected many of these issues, Upon review, we found they often completed such reviews long after social workers had made decisions regarding the children's safety. Now, let me, let me talk about the risk and safety assessments. It's called Structured Decision Making, SDM, and basically it's, it's um, a decision tree, and it's been used for a very, very long time now and it's reliable, and it's been validated. So basically from, from the call center intake all the way through the very end of adoptions, there are certain procedures, certain forms you have to fill out to do this decision tree. And the decision tree, it's all on, it's, it's basically all on the computer, SDM. You print out some of the forms, and what I used to do is I used to take the forms with, with, with me, the risk and safety assessments, so when I went out, I could just do it right there. Have it there, look at it, have it done. And that was, I used it for part of my decision-making. I think a lot of social workers just don't want to do it and falsify the information. So we, there we go, lying, falsifying the information. It, it's really, I would say that on um, three of my reports for the federal civil lawsuits, Vince, that I had included a whole section on, on SDM. So I always include that in my reports to, to uh, educate 
uh, people on that system, um, the usefulness of that system, and and abuses of the system, or in fact, non-uses. Um, it's a great tool. I love it because when they don't use it, I can catch it. So that's SDM. Get this. In addition, despite budget increases that allow the department to hire more social workers and reduce caseloads, it did not comply with several other state requirements for the child welfare practices. What were those practices? Well, I'm going to get to them. Okay. They did not consistently perform required home inspections and criminal background checks before placing children with relatives uh, in their families. In fact, of the 22 placements they reviewed, the, depart the department only completed 16% of the state-mandated required in-home inspections prior to placement. And it documented the completion of mandatory, mandatory pre-placement criminal background checks for only five of these placements. Why is this, why is this important? When I first started with Child Protective Services, it, it was uh, a little bit more lenient. And we're talking about in the very late 90s, uh, where if you took children and they were family members and there were police there, you could have the police run them and then place them. That all changed. There's uh, in Riverside County, if a child is removed, there's a group or of social workers who do nothing but uh, placement. That's their job. That's all they do. They find placements. They go out to the relative homes. They do all the inspections. Everything has to be done on a timely basis. Everything has to be checked off and it has to be checked off and, and signed by the supervisor before a child can be placed in a relative home. Now, early on when this went into effect, <laughs> excuse me, I actually sat at a relative's home for about three hours waiting for um, Sacramento to, to clear the family. We are, the children were in the home, but we were waiting on, on all the different uh, things that we look up uh, for the criminal background check. And my supervisor said, no, you can't leave. We're waiting just for one last report, which is the California Child Abuse Index. It's just one of them. And my supervisor basically said, you can't leave the children there. You cannot have them sign everything till, that, till they call you and report that that's clear. That's how serious I was trained. And that's before they have the relative placement unit. Now they have the relative placement unit. I don't know if they have that in LA County. It doesn't seem like they do, and they really should. Um, it, it's, it's awful. Um, so let me go on. 
The audit identified several underlying causes for the department's deficiencies. In particular, the department does not have specific timeframes for when supervisors must complete reviews of safety and risk assessments. It also currently performs quality reviews on only a limited number of social worker cases. And these reviews do not include an analysis of the quality of the supervisor's review. Excuse me. Lastly, although the department reviews the circumstances around child death, the department does not have a process for ensuring that it implements the recommendations resulting from such reviews. We, in California, there's a statewide computer system that all social services have to use. It's a child, child welfare system, child welfare management system, CMS, CWS. Supervisors can pull up anything. That, that, that system, the statistics, it, 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 it will tell you anything, anything you want to know. And our supervisors were pretty much trained to do audits of our cases. And um, our social worker would pick out, you know, one or two social workers a month and just audit the cases. And, you know, if it was fine, they said it was fine. If not, they had to go back and redo the deficiencies. Um, but we knew that the supervisors were um, – not necessarily looking over our shoulders, but just making sure that we were doing best practices, I would say. That's one of my key words is best practices. As far as the child death, now, unfortunately, I had to investigate several child deaths. Um, and I'm, well, happy to say it wasn't due to abuse. They were all SIDS deaths. But um, I was part of the child death review team, and we had protocols for everything, working with uh, the coroner, working with the sheriff's department, so we could get reports on, on time. And uh, we had a whole team that met and discussed it, um, discussed every, every child death in western Riverside County. Eastern Riverside County has their own. Um, but we had protocols um, for that. And uh, it just made things easier. I think that one of the cases I worked on with for you was a SIDS death. And they don't have a child death review team because I remember from that report that um, the child died, and the social worker wouldn't close the case until they got the full report from the coroner. But sometimes, oh, in the L.A. County, I don't know how long it would take. In Riverside County, sometimes they would take up to three months, four months for them to actually get it done. In Riverside County, we could get a, a preliminary report from the uh, coroner, and that would suffice, and we could close our cases on time. But Yes, I did a report for you guys, and we won that court case um, with the SIDS death. 
where they remove the kids and place the kids with relatives in Palmdale right. or Lancaster, something like that. <laughs> it was a mess. Um, so yeah, we LA County needs to really work on that. And these are things that you would think that a county would have in place, especially a county as law as big as Los Angeles County. Maybe that's the problem, Vince. Maybe LA County is DCFS is just too big. Um, let me let me go on with this because it's it's uh, and I'm looking at the time, but I want to go over this this one paragraph because I think that it's really really important for the audience to know. After the department receives an allegation of abuse or neglect and they decide to pursue an open response, this is state law. State law says that investigations are to begin within 24 hours to 10 days. Now, let me, let me, LA County does five days. Let me explain that. If a call comes in and a child's life is in danger or the police have called or something like that or a school calls. <clears throat> we have what's called an immediate response where a social worker will go out right then and there. Okay. That's one type of call in Riverside County. We would do 10 days, which means that once you, the social worker got the paperwork, the referral, they had 10 uh, days to make first contact. Um, and that was checked. And let me, um, I know I've talked about this before and I'll, and we'll come to this cases have to, investigation cases must be closed after 30 days or at 30 days. And that's state law. And that also has to do with funding. Okay. Here it is. The department compiled the applicable requirement for only 19 of 30 investigations. 19 of 30 investigations, they were on time to actually make a first contact. Now get this, for one referral, the social worker made one unsuccessful attempt to contact the family within 24 hours but did not make any follow-ups, did not attempt to make another follow-up contact. And I'm going to finish with this statement that has to do with the last sentence. Once the department sought and found the family, 151 days after the referral, the children were removed from, the, from an unhome, unsafe home situation. Um, the report is actually 60 some odd pages and I have like four pages. I'm not going to be able to go through all of them. I'd really like to continue going through this because there's a lot more. But basically, basically um, LA County has problems um, they've had problems for years, and it appears no matter what director comes in, uh, they just can't seem to um, solve the problems. 
it, it, it's unfortunate. It's scary for those families, especially for those families who really need the services and basically fall between the cracks. Um, again, I think LA County is just too big. Uh, they just they just don't have. They just need to, to split it up, like they've been talking about doing for LA Unified School District. They just need to split it up so they can have uh, better control uh, of of what their what their social workers are doing. So that's that that that's part of the report. What do you think? Well, you know, I'm thinking that you might be right, but about it being too big. But here's one of the problems, and I noticed this over the years doing the DCFS cases in LA County. There is a attitude and a belief that is deeply rooted in the department among many, many social workers, many, many offices. And just bringing in a director, a new director, isn't going to change those beliefs. Mm -hmm. I think that the only way they're going to be able to change those beliefs is by, number one, uh, getting rid of people who are not buying into the new system. Number two, education and training, which is probably the most important thing, but that takes time, energy, and money. So I don't know if the department is committed to making that, doing that education and training. Number now, three, I, I think, Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say I, on training, social workers have to have 20 hours a, a, a year in training. Right. But what I'm talking about is training in doing things the right way with the right attitude. You know, social workers are people, and they just by definition have, um, you know, weaknesses and strengths. But, you know, a, a lot of social workers, I won't say a lot, cases that I'm involved in where there's a problem uh, tend to maybe exaggerate some facts just because they want to win. This, the DCFS, like most social workers, people want to win their cases. They want to, you know, they want their beliefs validated. And sometimes I think that social workers, you know, take things personally instead of uh, professionally. I'll give, you a, I'll give you a real easy example, real easy example. Yesterday I had to go to court to pick up a report in a case. I had to go pick up the jurisdictional and dispositional report, right? So they give me – they hand me a report that's about two inches thick. <laughs> and I, I know that the policy in this courthouse is that they give you two copies of the report, one for you one for your client, right? Mm -hmm. Well, there was, right. A, there, was only one, there was only one copy, which meant I had to go make the copy someplace. You know, I had to find a copy machine in the courthouse. But I asked the social worker who was sitting in court, whose case this was, 
I said, do you have a copy of uh, the report so I can give to my client to review while I'm reviewing it? And she says to me, no, um, I don't have time. And she says, it was mailed to your client in the mail. Now, one of the things I know that the common practice is is that they'll mail the report, which might be about a quarter inch, but the other inch and three quarters of attachments are rarely mailed to the um, to the parent. So technically, they got the report, but technically they didn't because you know the attachments are never attached. Why? Well, it takes too much time, energy, and money to mail another you know inch and a quarter, inch and three quarters of paper. Anyway, so I said, well, do you have proof that this was mailed to my client? She said, yeah, it's attached to the proof of service that's attached at the end of the report. So I look at the proof of service, right? It's got yeah. my client, it's got my client's wrong name. Okay, Her name was, you know, began with an M, but they used the wrong name. You know, instead of calling her, for example, Mary, they called it Michelle. And then on top of that, I looked at the address and the address was wrong by one digit. So instead of saying 301, it said like 302 West Boulevard or Street, right? Right. So I point this out I point this out to the social worker and she says it's close enough. What? Yeah. In other words, I'm not making your copy for you. You know, it's close enough. Now, I don't know if that type of attitude is just because it's me. Um, You know, a lot of people don't like me, especially if you work for, you know, DCFS. I don't know if it's because she was just really busy I don't know if it was that she really didn't care, right? Right. So, you know, it's just it's just little things like that. And, I'm, you know, I, I didn't argue with her. And, um, you know, she said, take if you have a problem, take it up with the county council. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. I went over to the county council and I said, look, I said, um, I'm not even going to mention this about the report. And he kind of chuckles to himself because I think he overheard the conversation. I said, you know, uh, the trials next week, this was Friday, yesterday, the trials next week, I would, I'd like to ask for a continuous trial. I just got this report, you know, this two inch report. And he says, that's fine. You know, he, he, he didn't give me any problems. So basically why I took the report, I, I showed it to my client and I said, look, I'm going to email you this report you know, and, and I said, by the way, did you get this in the mail? She says, no, I haven't received anything in the mail. But, well, you know, it's just like little, little things, but they are, um, they repeat themselves in bigger areas. You know, well, you know, it, 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 see, I don't understand, I don't understand that kind of philosophy because it's not about winning. It was about the family. And what was best for the kids. And that's the attitude that social workers need to to really focus on, not about winning cases. It's not about winning cases. 
Well, unfortunately, that's not. You know, it, it's a very complex thing, and maybe we can talk about this next time you're on as a guest. But you know, there's so many things that become involved with a just a simple uh, CPS case. There's many different layers, many different people. There's the parents, there's the children, there's the family, there's you know the extended family. Um, you know, there's the social worker, there's the supervisor, there's the uh, uh, deputy, there's the assistant ARA, the RA. You know, there's there's so many people involved in in, in situations. Um, they get very complex. And one of the things that I find is, you know, since everybody's overworked and underpaid, even the judges, they got too many cases. Um, yeah. You know, there's a rush to judgment. There's a rush to complete something. There's a rush to finish the case. And, you know, and we're talking about people's lives and their families. Yeah. But that's a whole different, whole different topic. We've gone over time. Terry, I want to thank you for calling in. And if you're not doing anything next weekend, we can bring you back and we can finish that report because there's so sure. much to talk about that that uh, audit, that state audit, and how it affects not only L.A. County but the entire state. So I want to thank you for being a guest. I want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll see you next week on the radio. Thank you. Thank you.